Introducing Wondersuite from Bluehost.com, the tool that makes WordPress wonderful for everyone. Website creation is hard, but now with Bluehost, you can answer a few simple questions about your business and goals, and the Wondersuite tools will automatically lay out your WordPress website or store in minutes. Seriously. From there, you can customize your design, pick your brand colors and add blocks, no custom theme or coding required. You'll get content suggestions that you can keep or revise. And with Yoast SEO built in, we automatically help you get found in search engines. From step-by-step guidance to suggested plugins to an AI-powered help bot, our built-in tools make WordPress wonderful for everyone. Maybe that's why Bluehost has been recommended by WordPress.org since 2005. Whether you're a beginner or a pro, you can join over 2 million Bluehost users. Go to bluehost.com wondersuite. That's bluehost.com wondersuite. As humans, we're naturally driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search, match with Indeed. When I was looking to hire someone, it was so slow and overwhelming. I wish I had used Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash podcast. That's Indeed.com slash podcast. Terms and conditions apply. Amy Sandler, the host of the Radical Candor podcast, and you are in for a treat today. We have got a radically candid conversation ahead, welcoming back to the podcast, Russ Laraway, author of the book, When They Win, You Win, Being a Great Manager is Simpler Than You Think. It's coming out on June 7th. Go ahead and pre-order it now. Pre-order it now. Pre-order it now. Sometimes I feel like I have Kim Scott's voice in my ears, and I I think I do right now. Pre-order it now, and they win, you win. We all do. For those of you who also uh, remember Russ's voice in your ears, you know Russ best as the OG co-host with Kim of this very podcast. Russ is currently Chief People Officer at Goodwater Capital. He's also the creator of Career Conversations, which is covered in Radical Candor. And Russ dedicates nearly 100 pages of his new book to Career Conversations as well. We are so very happy to welcome Russ back. And Kim, over to you. Thank you. It is so, I've been looking forward all day long to this conversation, Russ. You know, I thought about Um, starting off by saying the prodigal son returns and then quickly saying, just kidding, it's Russ. I didn't know if that'd be funny. I didn't know if that'd be funny or not. So, Well, clearly I thought it was funny. I always enjoy talking to you. And I thought we would sort of kick this off by me sharing with everyone here some feedback that you gave to me when we worked at Google together, which is which feels like supreme irony. So I recall at one point 
at Google, you told me, you said, Kim, you value quantitative skills more than leadership skills. <laughs> Which, which was true. I remember thinking that it was really, unfortunately, true feedback. And I, I, I got to say, hopefully I've taken that to heart now because I haven't written a single word about measurement. So would love, to, would love to get your perspective and memory on that feedback. And then we'll talk about your book, which I'm so excited about. Yeah. In fact, in some ways, we might have each kind of come toward the middle a little more so that the context is that, you know, when I joined Google back in 2005, you, of course, were my boss. And I, I could barely add, as you probably recall, I could, I couldn't add, I mean, subtraction <laughs> is not was, true. Subtraction was a really big challenge, but, <laughs> um, and so, but the, the company, I would say in hindsight, maybe that feedback was a little unfair only because ultimately when I won the Google great manager award in 2012, seven years after I would have given you that feedback, when I was asked for my opinion about this sort of overall, you know, they, they took us on a trip to Kauai with the three of the CEOs directs. I mean, it was incredible. And I said, in my feedback, I said, listen, I'm really appreciative of what you've all done here, but Google still does not care about people management. That was my exact, exact feedback. Just because you gave, you know, a handful of managers a trip to Kauai doesn't mean we really care about it. So I think I just think there was something cultural there that heavily biased toward getting to the truth through math versus some of the more soft, some of the softer stuff maybe. And of course, my bias was that all I really had, I joke about not being able to add, but you and I, you, no one, Kim, you know, nobody's confusing me for a physicist anytime soon. Like, yeah, or me. All I, all I had was the, was the soft stuff. And, you know, you were, you were building a team of people that were really strong quantitatively and um, and I, I was getting ratings that strongly suggested that uh, I was not as quantitative as the rest of them. <laughs> so, so there's the feedback. I mean, you know, and, but you know what, I'm sorry, I'm just going to take one second. <clears throat> I've said this on a few other podcasts now. What is the most important takeaway is that you created a culture in which your direct report felt like they could say something like that to you without fear of retaliation. And I can prove to you, and maybe we'll get there in a bit on the ROI of some radical candor stuff. I can prove to you how important it is for a manager to enable that kind of culture. See, unlike me, you've been able to quantify the value of radical. <laughs> I've never even tried. In fact, anyway, there's there's more funny stories, which we can tell towards the end. But I think what this is really an important point. I mean, I think one of the things that you and I talked a lot about both at Google when we worked together and when we co-founded uh, this company that was where we were trying to build this Candor app, we talked about how in Silicon Valley, specifically in kind of in corporate America more broadly, management is neither taught nor rewarded. And I think that's beginning to change, but not quite fast enough. So I would love to get your thoughts on is that still true? Is it changing? Why is it changing? Why is it not changing fast enough? Yeah, probably, <clears throat> probably not changing to not changing fast enough is my, is my, my rough take. Just having looked at sort of the research and, and how I arrive at that conclusion, excuse me, but by, by the way, it's an incredibly counterintuitive conclusion because what we're doing right now, the books that you wrote, the book that I wrote, um, the books that are being written every day, articles in HBR and everywhere else, all have a singular, many have a singular aim, which is to help managers become better at their jobs. Uh, and yet the evidence that I 
came across strongly suggests managers are best stagnant as more and more content comes out. I have this fantasy, um, if you'll indulge me for a minute, which is I get a chance to ask every person, every individual who's written a book, um, who's hosted a podcast or written an article, I get to ask them, how do you think your stuff helps managers become better at their jobs? And then the way this fantasy goes is um, they would each never use these exact words, but they would say something like, it's like going through an a la carte or buffet style lunch line, right? And so the the manager scoots along at a leisurely pace. They pull a little off the Kim section. They pull a little off the Russ section. Then they're over to the Bernay section. And they're just scooting down the line. They grab something from the Simon section. You know, these aren't real people. These are just random names. (laughs) Just theoretical names. Yeah. And then they walk away with a tray full of nutritious food uh, or, you know, what they need to solve any leadership problem that comes their way. And what I realized for most managers is it doesn't feel at all like a leisurely trip through a lunch line. It feels like you're hogtied in the center of a middle school cafeteria while a multi-thousand person food fights transpiring with like broccoli bouncing off your head or mashed potatoes (laughs) sliding down your cheek. It's like a food fight. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And worse is when, if you were going through the leisurely lunch line, you're not picking chicken breast and broccoli and spirulina shake that you need. You're picking the chicken fried steak, the cream puffs and the cheesesteak that you want. And, and that, that process of opting in is heavily fraught with bias. And, and so it's just tough. There's so much stuff out there and it doesn't hang together. And, and practically, uh, I think this has led to a, a pseudo conclusion that managers aren't actually improving as a result of all of our effort. So how do we fix this? And, and, and also, how do we, this is something that you and I used to talk a lot about uh, as we were building this sort of candor coach is you need a coherent management philosophy. You need you need stuff that hangs together where one thing reinforces the next thing. So I guess I'm asking you two questions in one. One, how do we fix it? But two, how would you articulate the coherent management philosophy that you do articulate in when they win, you win? And by the way, buy the book. That's to right. the listeners, not to you. You already bought it. I did. I did. I actually own a few. I already own a few copies. I just found out I'm contractually obligated to like 20 copies or something. So that's that's fun. Actually, I think the first issue is a process issue. And so I have this model I I came up with, which is called stack. Like we're going to stack up a bunch of great managers because we're going to do we're going to select, teach, assess and coach them better. And so the first problem, Kim, that leads to managers flailing is they're selected for the wrong reasons. They're selected because like in the food industry, they're selected strictly because of tenure. Like, you're still here, you're the manager, you know. But in the rest of the world, we actually pick managers based on how good of an individual contributor they were. And the problem with that, of course, is the activity, you know this better than anybody, the activities that make you successful as a manager look nothing like the activities that made you successful as an individual contributor versus selecting someone for their leadership chops, right? Yeah. Or, and leadership love. I mean, like there was one, at one point I was at Apple and I was teaching this class, managing at Apple. And we always tried to get these senior leaders from Apple to come and introduce the class. And and we brought in this one engineering leader. Nobody had told me that he didn't actually manage people. And he stood up in front of the whole class and he said, you know, I have one deal with Apple they don't ask me to manage and I don't quit. <laughs> I was like, oh my God, this, this is not exactly the Oops. inspiration that I was looking for. So so clearly like there was some lack of awareness there. 
about uh, the, you know, the kind of people who needed to be teaching this class and the difference between management and very senior leaders who are individual contributors. Yeah. Yeah. Couldn't, couldn't be more different. By the way, picking up on teach, I think probably two big problems I see with respect to the teach part of stack. Problem number one is, and, and I didn't realize this was a problem until I went through the five to plus year process of writing this book. And the experience at Qualtrics really galvanized sort of the, the ideas. But first is that the leadership standard being taught is almost never held to any sort of measurable account. So there's a prescription with zero accountability of whether that prescription works. And now I've chosen to define works as measurably and predictably leads to more engaged employees or work happiness and better business results. But I'd take just about anybody's definition. I just think there needs to be some accountability for the leadership standard being prescribed. So that problem one is you're just trotting stuff out with no accountability. The flip side of that is the teaching is often unfocused. And so, cause, cause like leadership is highly susceptible to like senior person flavor of the month. Like CEO heard about situational leadership on some zoom call. And next thing you know, everybody's doing situational leadership. And now, and then by the way, repeat that. Cause now you hire the L and D person and they've done their, their research in a certain area and they want to drive the leadership stuff in a different direction. And then new executive and next thing you know, you have this Frankenstein monster that at least Frankenstein walked and made noises. This one, this one just lays on the table and does nothing, right? So you have this Frankenstein monster of, um, of leadership stuff that, again, like you said, isn't coherent, doesn't hang together. But worst of all, no one's attempted to hold it to any sort of accountability of whether it does what it's promised to do. So I think that's yeah, probably that's- the biggest I think there's also, before we move on to the AC part of Stack, uh, teach. You taught me a lot about teaching leadership when we were at, again, when we were at Google together. You, I remember, to, I mean, you correct me, you probably remember the conversation a little differently, but you came in to my office and you said you wanted to fly the managers on your team from all over the world and teach them how to have get-to-know-you conversations. <laughs> I think I was probably not very respectful um, or caring and how I, I kind of poo-pooed this. I dismissed this. And you said, look, one of the things that you had learned over the course of your career, especially in the military, is that in order for your people to become great leaders, you have to teach them certain skills, including like the fact that it is their job to get to know their people and how to, how to do that and how to do that correctly. And somehow I, I realized that I had had this kind of bias in the back of my mind that leadership was almost like a personality attribute as opposed to a skill that we can teach and a skill that we can learn. And I think that was actually a really transformative moment for me in my career and in thinking about leadership, because I think too often we commit the fundamental personality attribute error when what we should be doing is realizing this is a skill that people can learn. You weren't alone then. And if you still believe that today, which I know you don't, you still wouldn't be alone today. Like one of the worst words that gets thrown around when it comes to leadership is charisma. Yes. It's just like, it's, it's, you can be an incredibly good manager and have zero charisma. In fact, you can be one of the best managers around. And you, you kept saying the word skills. I'm, I'm going to refine this a bit, if I may. What I think the conclusion I reached and, and sort of what I kind of push in the book is it's actually behaviors. So leadership yeah. is ultimately, I think, really a set of behaviors. 
that when practiced regularly and practiced sort of correctly, and then we'll get to the A and the C part, which, which are how you really do that. That's how you become a good leader and a good manager. By the way, I don't care about the distinction between those two. Happy to, happy to chat through that as well. I, I no longer care about the difference between leadership and management. Like, I'll say it just to sound <laughs> cool at a cocktail party, you know, but I don't really believe it. There is. Um, I agree with you. I think you and I have always agreed on that. There's so much. Be, leader Leadership sort of means to a lot of people, a person who, you know, sits around and BSs and doesn't actually do anything. <laughs> and managers kind of imply, you know, a small-minded uh, paper pusher. And neither one are fair to either <laughs> uh, set of behaviors. I like behaviors better than skills. I agree with you. And it's hard actually to write a book about this because all of the words leader, manager, boss, have these very strong negative connotations in the minds of a lot of people. So did you come up with a better word or are we just stuck with these words that people have negative connotations about? De- definitely didn't come up with a better word, but I came up with a better way of framing the manager, which is the job everyone applies for. Nobody applies for a job called leader. Like it, there's a job yeah. description, right? And you know, <laughs> but you're a manager. And Heather Kirkby is a woman. She's the chief people officer for a company called Recursion Pharmaceuticals. And she used to be a product person at Intuit. And I actually spoke to her when we were doing the candor stuff. And she'd moved into a leadership development role. She was trying to evaluate if we could be helpful. And she said, I want to restore dignity to the office of the manager. And in fact, that became a chapter title in my book. It, it's just, I'll never forget it because leader is sub, like, it's this culture of grandiosity everywhere. You know, the leader, oh, Oh, the leader, they float. They just, they need barely whisper, follow me. And everyone magically lines up, you know, but the manager's got <laughs> thick rim glasses and a clip on tie and short sleeve shirts and a leaky drop ceiling. And they're just doing spreadsheets and all the, making sure the bottles on the Laverne and Shirley manufacturing, like everybody, like the manager, must someone to tolerate, but the leader, I mean, part God. And so anyway, like, but the job is manager, right? And so she, she said, I want to restore dignity to the office of the manager. So I would, I would like to reframe folks that managers aren't just people to be tolerated. Managers must lead. Leaders must manage. And therefore, let's just erase that really hard line that tends to exist between them and our minds. Totally agree. Forehand and backhand. Got to do both to play a tennis game. Not yeah. that I've ever played a tennis game, but anyway, I, I would imagine. They probably need to by the way, if helpful, just to just maybe uh, if you want me before we hit the A and the C to explain a tiny bit about Qualtrics, what, what happened there and how it contributed. Um, yeah, that'd be great. Yeah. So I entered Qualtrics with a very strong theory because of the work you and I did together. So, you, you know, as, as I don't know if anybody that listens to this podcast would know, but I usually was the first person folks spoke to when they, they kind of called in and were looking for us to help them out. So I, I don't know. I bet I had like a thousand repetitions in some form, whether it was writing people or a phone call I took. And I would always do a basic discovery question. And the discovery question was some version of what problem are you trying to solve or how do you think we can be helpful? And through a thousand repetitions of that, there was a very common message. They so always use different words, but the message was we have an engagement problem related to low manager skill. And because Radical Candor had some very powerful ideas about how to, by the way, I now know even more so how powerful, uh, keep teasing that idea. Cause we're going to get to it. Cause you can measure it. Cause we can, um, had some powerful ideas about managing. It made sense that they were calling us and they were of course, generally looking for, you know, the two by two and, and coaching and all that stuff or feedback guidance. And so anyway, um, we had the two 
labs that we did. We did career conversations and we did core radical candor. And then, you know, I, I did a lot of those. And so I got a lot of feedback on them, right? And so I was able to really kind of dial in what was sort of missing for managers in the minds of, of folks. And then there's this direction idea too. And so anyway, I walk into Qualtrics with a pretty strong idea that what many companies believe is the specific skill gap that managers lack vis-a-vis the uh, idea of employee engagement. I've got a head start there. I've got a head start to the theory. Now, the third-party research tells us engagement and business results are strongly correlated. And there's, there's I don't know one person qualified to say it's not. that's not the case. It's so, yeah. it's so strong. So I get to Qualtrics. I decide, well, what I'm going to do is I'm going to test these behaviors. I added this third one. So there was kind of coaching and career that were strongly, you know, strongly informed by my time with you. Direction wasn't as strongly tested, but, you know, I, there's a bunch of treatment and radical candor around different, you know, decision-making wheel and things like that. I went a little different direction, but anyway, I had a chance to test these. And by, and, and this is probably the most important idea. It's the A and the C in stack. So first we started, we, I created a, a hiring rubric. So any manager, we selected them for their leadership chops. Love of leadership. Is, the first question is, so why do you want to manage people? And the only wrong answer, actually I say, so why on earth would you want to manage people? And the only wrong answer is, I know, right? But, you know, and so like, we're just trying to get underneath the, the love. But anyway, we started selecting better. We started teaching a very focused direction coaching career. And we started assessing managers from the perspective of their employees. This is the big idea. Every, lots of people do leadership training. Almost nobody has the gumption to allow employees to solely employees to evaluate their managers. Employees do the work. They're the ones we're fighting to attract, develop, and retain. They're the ones being led. So they're the ones I want evaluating how the manager is leading. And so we do this by asking them if the manager was demonstrating 12 behaviors. The big three breaks down into 12 behaviors every quarter. And now we get a measurement on, we call we call it manager effectiveness, but now we're getting a measurement on leadership. And once you have a measurement on leadership, you can correlate that with engagement and you can correlate that with results. And what we found was incredible. And so the last part, by the way, so that's assess. You have to actually assess mm-hmm. your managers. They will not change their behavior unless you assess them. I promise you. They're not even, most people aren't even capable. You go to training, you, you walk out of the room, a very small number of people are capable of a very small number of behavior changes. But when you start assessing them on a regular basis, and then you add the last part, which is coach them, there will be gaps in how they're behaving towards their teams. Now coach them to close it. Don't fire them. That's the fastest way to kill this thing, but coach them on how to close the gaps. And so select, teach, assess, coach. And it's sort of like a flywheel. It it almost repeats back on itself. Um, You kind of go back to the assess and coach part over and over and over. Um, And your managers get better. Our manager at Qualtrics got measurably better in my four years there. As we added 500 managers, we added 500 managers that got measurably better. And then we saw engagement follow. And obviously the company's on like six straight beat and raise. So I think fair to say the results tended to follow. But yeah, you hit, you hit a billion dollars in revenue. These are not soft skills. These are uh, hard <laughs> yeah. skills. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. <laughs> yeah, no, that's awesome. I love that. I mean, look, I, I will say that hopefully I listened to your feedback and I started valuing the difficult to measure stuff, the leadership slash management slash boss capabilities. And look at you, you quantified what I didn't bother quantifying. So I guess you're the more analytical of the two of us. So can we talk a little bit more about 
measurement because there's part there's part of me the story I started to tell at the beginning right when I was about to publish Radical Candor I got well-known venture capital firm called me in and they they wanted me to to try to quantify the impact of Radical Candor and I had kind of a snarky reply I said look you try to quantify the benefit of living in a beautiful house versus an ugly house. I'm not going to try. Like, I'm just going to assert that it matters. <laughs> Needless to say, that firm did not become one of our customers. Introducing Wondersuite from Bluehost.com, the tool that makes WordPress wonderful for everyone. Website creation is hard, but now with Bluehost, you can answer a few simple questions about your business and goals, and the Wondersuite tools will automatically lay out your WordPress website or store in minutes. Seriously. From there, you can customize your design, pick your brand colors, and add blocks. No custom theme or coding required. You'll get content suggestions that you can keep or revise. And with Yoast SEO built in, we automatically help you get found in search engines. From step-by-step guidance to suggested plugins to an AI-powered help bot, our built-in tools make WordPress wonderful for everyone. Maybe that's why Bluehost has been recommended by WordPress.org since 2005. Whether you're a beginner or a pro, you can join over 2 million Bluehost users. Go to Bluehost.com Wondersuite. That's Bluehost.com Wondersuite. As humans, we're naturally driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search. Match. With Indeed, when I was looking to hire someone, it was so slow and overwhelming. I wish I had used Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform, with over 350 million global monthly visitors according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash podcast. That's Indeed.com slash podcast. Terms and conditions apply. (laughs) <laughs> so not not a surprise. But but I do think at the core of good management is is a relationship. And I do think, you know, one of the novels that I wrote is called The Measurement Problem about how capitalism is really good at at rewarding what it can measure, really bad at rewarding what it values. And obviously, you wouldn't want to try to quantify, you know, a, a relationship. I don't think. Or I don't know. So what do you think? First, first of all, I, I think it's really important that we're now talking about a specific kind of relationship, um, manager and yes. employee. So yeah, not, ab- it's not a friendship. Yeah, what I'm about to say, I would never say for any other kind of relationship, actually almost probably any other relationship. But what's true of all relationships is they have attributes or properties. And I think what I would argue is, first, that the point of work is for us to deliver an aligned result. I mean, I, I like... That's why we're all there. Yeah, it's I mean, not. It's not a relationship. Like the point yeah. of a marriage is a relationship. Yeah, but, yeah. Um, like if I ch- told my it, wife, like uh, you know, hey, V, will you marry me? I really think we could deliver some aligned results together. 
you know, like that's an automatic no. Right. I, I, right. I mean, I don't know. Yeah. I'm a catch, but like even that's probably, so, you know, it's just different, right? Relationships have properties. And so what I'd say is maybe instead of the framing of how do you quantify a relationship? What I'd say is how can you figure out the best behaviors to demonstrate that will lead toward the outcomes that we all want? And then how can you measure the frequency with which those behaviors are, are being demonstrated? And you know, you're, you're probably technically measuring the relationship, you know, as you said it, but what manager, that manager effectiveness score really is, is a frequency with which your employees are experiencing you exhibiting the behaviors that we've studied to lead to better engagement and better results. And so those are the behaviors I want the managers to show. It turns out that they're built primarily around the simple idea, which is the only thing people have in common, every person has in common at work. There's only one thing which is that they want to be successful. And when you build the relationship and the the behaviors you expect from the manager around that idea, which your job is to deliver an aligned result and then enable the success of the people on your team, both short and long-term success, then suddenly it becomes clear that there's, there's ways to do that and there's ways that aren't that. And so we're trying to measure the frequency with which those specific behaviors show up. And not because it's my pet project, But because those behaviors, we studied them, those behaviors strongly correlate with both engagement and business results. So that's kind of how I'd go about that. I I recognize that I sound, this is this, I said, well, soft skills. And I was talking soft skills. And now all of a sudden I'm applying math to this idea. But I I actually think it's, I think it's probably the most, you know, this is probably the most important idea in the book. Yeah, no, I agree. I love that you I love that you measured and proved that this stuff works. So what are the 12 behaviors that you're oh, measuring? Geez. What yeah. are the radical candor ones? What yeah, are the yeah. feedback? Yeah, great, great. A, a couple that that pop up and and by the way, these have very strong relationships with engagement. Oh, and just in case like folks don't know, I just I just grabbed the text from a, a guy I worked with at Qualtrics and the correlation of employee engagement a highly measurable 30-year-old IO psychological, not what you think it is or what I think it is, but like actual sort of um, specific idea. Correlation employee engagement's overall financial performance of a company is R squared of 0.2. So wait, real... sorry, for those of us who aren't that analytical, what the hell does that mean? Uh, let me do it this way. <laughs> Bain and company found that engaged employees, uh, highly engaged employees drive 2.5 times more revenue than lesser engaged employees. Gallup found just just recently that uh, companies in the top quartile in employee engagement are 17% more productive revenue per head and 21% more profitable operating margin. The Royal Bank of Canada, who we used to do work for, they found in their, their 10,000 person technology group, so they're more cutting edge uh, area, that an engaged employee uh, drove three times more, highly engaged employee drove three times more revenue than a lesser engaged employee. Um, we, we found at Qualtrics 70, we turned our own EX value analysis on ourselves and found 70% of our operating margin could be explained by uniquely strong employee experience. The core measurement is employee engagement. So basically, so real finance, like earnings per share correlates with employee engagement, like the most precious business results. Like, so a lot of people want to say engagement's a soft measure off to the side, but it's, it's actually integral, I believe. Yeah. So the big three is that that's sort of the umbrella for these behaviors, um, direction, coaching, career, a couple of radically candid ones, specifically in coaching, are the most strongly correlated behavior with employee engagement is we get at that by asking this question. How much do you agree with the following statement? My manager frequently gives me specific praise for good work. 
And this, this has the strongest relationship with engagement. I think maybe at first blush for many, not, not this audience, not you, but for many that's, well, of course, you know, darn millennials need to get constantly, you know, be patted on the back, but it's not that at all. I don't think, I think it's the higher leveraged idea about praise that you talk about, which is reinforcing for folks what to continue. And that's the, that's the, the phrasing I use in the book. I call it continue coaching because you shouldn't just assume people know what they're, what's working. You actually should tell them to give them the best chance to repeat it. By the way, byproduct is you're actually recognizing people for what they've done. And the, le- the other byproduct is if you're going to be specific and sincere, that forces you to actually know and be able to articulate the standards that you're coaching on, both for continue and improve. I think it's little wonder that that one bubbled up to the top. Before we move on to the next one, will you tell the story of coaching Little League and the book? I love this. This is such yeah. a good story about praise yeah, <laughs> and yeah. criticism, but mostly praise. Mostly praise. Mostly, yeah. Did you want me to tell it now? Yeah. Oh, okay. Great. Yeah. Because this is where I, this is where I learned for real the power of praise. So um, yeah, I was coaching Little League, Belmont, Redwood Shores, AAA, Phillies. My coaching partner and I had a, we, we'd coached together a few times. Our teams were always pretty good. And we were development first, but winning matters was our philosophy because the kids wanted to win. Like people think kids don't want to win. They're just not paying attention. But what's development anyway, without some way to evaluate, right? So we went to yeah. a, a seminar by the Positive Coaching Alliance and it was great. And they said a number of things, but the one that stuck with me was five to one praise criticism. And they were careful, right? They said not five to zero, you know, because it's not everyone gets a trophy. And they also, it's not infinity to one, which is, you know, this phantom notion of limitless praise. It's five to one. And they talked a little bit about why, but I just said, you know what? That's the kind of coach I want to be anyway. And so I just adopted it wholesale right away. And um, I started keeping track of what the kids did well in the book. Uh, It was just a lab notebook, like with graph paper. It became a lot more. I mean, to the kids, it was like I was holding up Simba whenever I held the book, you know, like, (laughs) like every time, but, and the kids, and so starting with being on time to practice, you were on time, you got your name written down. You counted loudly during stretching. You got your, when that gave way that you were doing the stretches incorrectly, we started to talk about, you know, yeah, you got to get your head to your knee on your hamstring stretch all the way through to fielding the ground ball, right? Move your feet, center the ball in your stance, get your catching, get your glove in the dirt, cover with your throwing hand, pull it up to your shoulder as quickly as possible, back foot, front foot, throw to first. And so it turns out it's very difficult to tell someone they're doing well uh, if you don't know what the standard is by which they're being evaluated. And so this forced us to get very clear about all the standards on the team, the technical standards, the effort standards, all the behavioral standards. And yeah, and so we would about midway through practice, or if the team was lagging a little bit, even just maybe the hustle wasn't there, the focus, we would do a session for the book. It'd be about 10 minutes, bring the kids in. Here's what everybody did well. And I got to tell you, like the energy and focus after we did the book for the rest of practice was 100% of the time superior to what it was right before we did it. And then we always did a wrap up at the end. And sometimes I'd reinforce it at night on the team website about what people did well, you know, when I had time. I had this simple realization, which is, it's, it's tempting to think, oh, that's some magic that works on kids, you know? But like, they're just small people. <laughs> they're more similar to us than adult versions of like, of, of dogs, for example. Or we're just so, big kids. Or we're big kids, either way. Um, so, yeah. <laughs> I'm not so, very big in my case, but. 
yeah, <laughs> you're pretty, you're still a big kid, Ken. By the way, like also coach, I like the word coaching a lot because, you know, when you, this idea that you talk about is don't say something to a person, one of your employees that you'd say to your dog, like, good job. Yeah. It's also, it also like, that's what cheerleaders say, right? Cheerleaders are on the sideline. Cheerleaders are, you know, shouting platitudes that we repeat back, but a coach is on the field. A coach is right there with the players. It's energetic and it needs to be specific. Like this idea of coaching and being a positive coach, coaching for praise, coaching to continue, all these ideas are the same thing to me, is really different than being a cheerleader and and way more helpful to get the outcomes that you're trying to get. So little wonder praise spikes so hard on its relationship with employee engagement. Okay, so I love that. So one behavior that you're measuring is praise. Yeah, actually, how often do managers regularly give praise for for good work? Yeah. Second most strongly correlated was um, in ra- radical candor language is soliciting feedback. So your, your four-step yeah. you know, process for asking for feedback. And this one's so obvious, it's painful. I, in fact, I thought so much, I thought, boy, that was, to me, that's the second biggest idea in your book, by the way, because I've seen, you know, because you just think about it, it's this simple. Nobody goes to work not wanting to be heard. And, yeah. and yet, yet by accident, probably mostly, we all go to work constant and we're constantly unheard. And that's because there's a power differential and a manager, no matter how chill they think they are with their team, like, oh, I'm so cool. I'm trying to be like, people still are very disinclined to offer up the hard stuff, what can be better. And so when you start to ask people for that, and it's hard to get, right? It takes a little jump starting to get it going. You behave well, you respond correctly, you show that you value what you've heard and, and hopefully often implement what you've heard. Suddenly people see that pattern and they start to be more willing to offer it up proactively. You, stop, you have to ask less because you've created a place where people feel safe to do that. But nobody goes to work saying, you know what, I hope I don't get my voice heard today. It's going to be great. Yeah. And so, by the way, like if you think about inclusion, you know, I, I don't want to go off into all into DEI, but inclusion if you think about the most basic idea of what everyday inclusion is, it is like, where are you most likely to be included, right? Like in, it's in meetings, it's with your teammates. And what is yeah. actually transacting or transpiring in those interactions? We're discussing things, we're trying to make decisions, we're trying to, you know, give, maybe help each other with their work, but all of it like expected to be heard and you want to be heard and you're most likely to feel included if you're heard, I, there's quantitative backing for that statement, but it, it goes straight to your idea of the, of, you know, the four part solicit feedback model. And it's second most strongly correlated with, with employee engagement. So there's a couple radically candid behaviors, very strong return on investment. By the way, improvement coaching is in, I think it makes top six if memory serves. Yeah. People don't love that. Yeah. I don't care what they say. Nobody likes that. But, Nobody but likes it, giving it or receiving it. Exactly. The, exactly. And, and you call it improvement coaching because people can't stand the word criticism. Like that was another part. <laughs> that's another part of writing a book about management. That is really hard because there's not the word feedback is problematic. You know, I use the word guidance, which hadn't exactly taken off in the world, <laughs> well, despite my insistence on it in the book. You know, I didn't change, but criticism is the, the word that people, but that is what it is. I mean, we, we, but before we move on to criticism, I want to take another beat on soliciting feedback because I think that one of the, if we go back to this relationship point. One of the things that is most damaging to a relationship is a power imbalance. 
And I think if you're the manager, one of the most important things you can do is figure out how to lay your power down so that you can get on a level playing field and get to know the people who you're working with. And I think one of the most important things you can do is to solicit feedback. That's, I think, the right place to start. So glad that was in the... And I'm surprised praise came before soliciting feedback. I always say soliciting feedback first, but maybe you're right. Maybe, well, I'm sure you're right. Maybe I need to change the order of operations to give well, praise first. I, I think I think it's probably <clears throat> it doesn't matter too much uh, one before the other. I, they're both they both have an incredibly strong relationship. Another behavior is establishes explicit expo- uh, expectations, and so with people know with certainty what is expected, and so you start to put these things together. You can see how they they like what are you coaching someone on if it's not the things they're explicitly ex- expected to do or deliver. Right. Like, I don't I don't know what you're doing. You're coaching on something else. It doesn't matter. Right. And so including specific praise for good work, including improvement, coaching, all of these things. So, yeah. So that so those are kind of three big ones, I would say. Those are probably three pretty big specific of the 12 behaviors. Those are three of the more leveraged. And how do you measure engagement? How does that get measured? Yeah, it's it's usually about somewhere five or six questions. It varies a little, but the, the questions sound like. This. So one question is employee net promoter score, which is how likely are you to recommend this as a great place to work? Uh, Next one is employee satisfaction. Overall, how satisfied are you with the work that you do or or with this place as an employer? Fulfillment. Overall, how fulfilled are you by the work that you do? Discretionary effort. How likely are you to go above and beyond? And uh, pride and employer. Proud of you to work at this place. And then there's kind of a swing question, which is intent to leave, intent to stay. How much do you agree with the following statement? I am seriously considering leaving employer in the next six months. That one sometimes gets left out, sometimes gets included. That one's people vast. don't really want to know the answer to that well, one. I'll tell you what, if you <laughs> if you got if you got time, I know we're we're up there, but if you got time, there's another really important radical candor idea that ties to that that last question that I think would knock your socks off. But I've got time. I, okay, I'm ready cool. to have my socks knocked off. Okay, cool. Yeah. Are you are you wearing socks right now? Because I'm, I'm wearing socks and shoes. Okay. Even I'll show you. I've got. Look at I this. I don't believe it. Let's see if I can get my leg over my head. I've got these orange shoes. You just you put know. those on. You just put those on. <laughs> so, yeah. So those are the questions, and and I know, like, I just want to, I just want to give a little treatment to skepticism folks would have. I. I I was highly skeptical that some mystical, magical measurement from IO psychology that, you know, employee engagement could matter at all. And, and I'm telling you, you, you just got to look. The, the research is unbelievably clear. We at Qualtrics even found, this, this is unbelievable, we found in our sales organization, plus five points in employee engagement was worth 30 points of quota attainment. In our customer success group, we found plus five in engagement was worth five points of contract renewal. And by the way, we were already at about like a 90% contract renewal, well, beyond world class. We wow. also found an elasticity between that manager effectiveness score and engagement. It was plus or minus two, plus or minus one. So if you think about that in a sales organization, if I can improve my managers by 10 points on manager effectiveness, I should get five points of engagement on average, and I should get 30 points of quota attainment. I don't want to overstate it, but I'm pretty sure that doesn't exist anywhere else. Like that kind of insight yeah, no, about the value of, of practicing specific leadership behaviors. Yeah. Yeah. It seems very compelling. And there's, you know, the truism, which gets uh, even more true during the great resignation is that people join companies, but, but leave managers. 
So why does employee engagement not measure something like how like how likely would you be to work for this manager again as well as for the company? I always yeah. wonder that. Getting back to this knock your socks off moment, we actually had a hard time correlating engagement and attrition. I, I actually, if you, you probably didn't even notice, but I steered pretty clear of it. Yeah. I think, I, but I think most people do that in their heads. They tie them together, and I think practically this undervalues employee engagement by making it all about attrition retention. So we had a real hard time nailing that relationship down. That said, to your specific question, uh, I think I, I'd sent you a little data, actually. Qual- Qualtrics had done a study, 15,000 U.S. respondents, and they basically did a conjoint analysis. You, you asked your respondents to stack rank various attributes of the workplace, in this case specifically for where you select to work, where, you, where you're going to pick, the place you're going to pick to work. And the usual suspects are all on the list. You, you all, we, would, we would guess them right now. It would be compensation, benefits, flexible work. This was done during the pandemic. Flexible work was on there. Team that you're going to work with, um, the company culture. But through this conjoint of eight or nine attributes, the, the direct manager was the, was the top attribute. So the idea that you're hitting on, Kim, is out there. It's just maybe not linked to engagement. So, so what's interesting is engagement's not a controllable input metric, like Amazon would say. But manager effectiveness is. And when you realize that manager effectiveness or measuring the frequency of behaviors delivers more engagement, then that's how you sort of affect engagement. This one leadership behavior, there was one behavior, though, that strongly correlated with retention. Um, Yeah. No, I know. Like, I would imagine that a boss who's an asshole hurts retention, no? Or it's more complicated. I think that's an excellent theory. We should test it right away. So here's what happened with this intent to leave question. It's unbelievably predictive. So what we learned was that 75% of the time when someone left the company, they told us within the last six months they were going to leave the company. Like a lot of people think there's all this sampling bias in these questions and employees lie and they won't. They were telling us like, I'm going to leave. And then they did 67% of the time when they said they were going to leave, they did. So my point in that is incredibly predictive of attrition. The most uh, predictive question we could ask. So then we said, well, what leadership behaviors correlate with that question, right? If we can't quite find a strong linkage all the way through, did a sort of a, like a waypoint. So we use that question and you're going to love this. How much do you agree with the following statement? My manager cares about me as a human being. <laughs> it's the, it's, it's, a much nicer. it's a radical candor axis. You know, that, that said, do you remember we laughed, like how uproariously we laughed that one time when that engineer said, how do you care about people at work? Remember we were like, yeah, <laughs> yes, <laughs> right. <laughs> Greatest question ever, because it turns out that actually has some unique attributes that you wouldn't pull out into your personal life necessarily. So, you, you know, you remember people were always disinclined to drop the care personally. Russ. You should have seen me. I went into his office. I kicked the door in. I told my boss, you're an asshole. I was radically yeah. candid. I'm like, there you were. <laughs> that's obnoxious aggression. That's, that's not it at all. You know? And so I made up that exercise to get people to tell about a time they gave radical candor. And, and then I, with a plan that they would always drop that, and they recounted their story, they would always drop the care personally, and I would just facilitate them into the care personally. That was the plan. And it went just like that. And so ultimately, when I kind of facilitated people through, I took away a couple of the layups like, oh, they asked about my weekends or, oh, they always go to the happy hours, all the nonsense that we normally say is care personally. (laughs) They 600 people, 150, (laughs) bless you, 150 workshops. 
times four people per workshop that shared there, 600 people, developed a word cloud, which was time, help, success. And so the way that they felt cared about in the workplace was when their manager took the time to help them have more success, both short and long-term, which by the way, comes all the way back to this idea that the only thing we all have in common at, in the, at work is wanting to be successful. And so you can't, again, like say to my wife, you know, the, re- the way I show that I care about you as a human being is that I take the time to help you be more successful. That's not really, I don't think that really quite works in a, in a marriage, but it works, I think, really well <laughs> in, a relation, in a relationship uh, at work. And, and so if the manager can just make sure the employee understands with clarity what's expected and then puts every ounce of energy into enabling their success, I think that's where we get the flywheel. Yeah. And that's sort of specifically means doing things like having one-on-one meetings, having career conversations. Is that right? Yeah. Are those more granular behaviors? Yeah. Both of those things, actually. Yep. Awesome. Well, Ross, there, I have a million more questions for you, but I just, I want to say, I know we're at time. I want to say, first of all, thank you. I'm so excited about this book. I want to say to all all of you folks out there in podcast land, buy, don't just buy one copy of the book, buy like 10 copies each. And if you have a big team, like buy one for everyone on your team. This is a great book and I'm really excited about it. Yeah. Well, thanks for your help in editing it too. And by by the way, and of course the origin of the book is my time with you at Radical Candor. Like that's where the theory came from. I I had to answer this ROI question a hundred times, you know, and it was tough. And as you know, right. And, and so, but building yeah, well, this- I'm glad you tried to answer it. Unlike me, who's just like, well, if you want a company full of assholes, go right ahead. <laughs> yeah, right. But that's an, <laughs> that was my answer. I like your answer much better. You know, funny thing I realized, Kim, <laughs> by the way, is everybody who knows an author wants nothing more than a free signed copy of the book. Oh, I know. And, and I, this is not very high on the care personally dimension, but I hate signing the book. It just I, seems like I don't mind no signing value them, but, add. But what I, what I was going to say is, but what every, manage, what every author needs is everyone they know to buy 10 copies of the book. Yes. Yeah. Oh. Don't ask Ross for his signature. Just buy another five or six. No, no, I'll sign it. I'll sign it. I'll, I'll sign, <laughs> if people send me their books in self-addressed stamped envelope, I'm dead serious about this. Well, thank you. Thanks for having me. This was, this was really fun. Uh, it's good. You know, what I guess everybody else doesn't see is there's other team members from Radical Candor on here who are at this point friends and colleagues. And so it's wonderful seeing everybody's smiling face, not just yours, Kim, and, and really has been the consistent theme in our relationship since 2004 when you didn't want to- Did that make want, you sweat in that interview room? When you didn't want to interview me. <laughs> Uh, because I was a Marine. Um, what has been consistent <laughs> since I overcame that bias is you your did. generosity toward me. And I deeply appreciate it. Well, uh, you have been equally generous. And I'm going to I'm gonna tell a story you probably don't. I might not be married right now if it weren't for some feedback that Russ gave me in a one-on-one meeting, some very courageous feedback which is that I was in a relationship with a guy I shouldn't have been in a relationship with. And Russ just said so nicely, you know, Kim, you're awesome. You should, you should be with an awesome person. So thank you, Russ, for not, not being afraid to veer outside of the, uh, the uh, workplace success. And uh, it's just, it's always a pleasure to see you and chat with you. Awesome. Thank you very much. 
That was so fun to hear Kim and Russ reconnected. If you want to check out the show notes for this episode, go ahead to radicalcandor.com backslash podcast. Uh, If you like what you hear, go ahead, rate and review us on Apple Podcasts or send us feedback at podcast at radicalcandor.com. Your one tip for this episode, go ahead and don't forget to pre-order Russ's book. Hey, Russ, in your own words, give us the title and what is the point of your book? Yeah, title is When They Win, You Win. Being a great manager is simpler than you think. And so, of course, we're going to make every manager great or said differently, please join me on my quest to rid the world of ass cloud managers everywhere. I love ass clown and you need to use that word more often and tell your editor, who's also my editor, what a good word that is. It's a it's great word. And I guess the big, the biggest question I have, is this, is it hyphenated ass clown modifying no. the manager? I'm curious. No, just. No, no, it's, three, it's all one word. words in on their own. Urban, urban oh, dictionary, urban di- dictionary defines word. it as a contemptible person. Yeah. So, so it's uh, it's in the <laughs> urban dictionary, which means it's a real word. Thanks for joining us. Our podcast features Radical Candor co-founders, Kim Scott and Jason Rosoff is produced by our director of content, Brandy Neal and hosted by me, Amy Sandler. Music is by Cliff Goldmacher. Go ahead and follow us on Twitter at Candor and find us online at RadicalCandor.com. As humans, we're naturally driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search. Match. With Indeed, when I was looking to hire someone, it was so slow and overwhelming. I wish I had used Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform, with over 350 million global monthly visitors according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash podcast. That's Indeed.com slash podcast. Terms and conditions apply. Shopify helps you sell at every stage of your business. Like that, let's put it online and see what happens stage. And the site is live. That we opened a store and need a fast checkout stage. Thanks, you're all set. That count it up and ship it around the globe stage. This one's going to Thailand. And that, wait, did we just hit a million orders stage? Whatever your stage, businesses that grow, grow with Shopify. Sign up for your $1 a month trial at shopify.com slash listen. 